Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Once again, so good to see all of you. Um, let's just get started. Let's jump into this. I want to begin by asking you to get out your Bibles or opening your Bible app and turning to James chapter 1, verse 19. And you can get out your Bible study guide as well and take notes. Um, so today, when you're blessed to be beginning a brand new series, and we've entitled this series, I Will... Five decisions that will change your life. And so what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is looking at five decisions that if you make, they will change your life, right? Now, I'm aware of this. I'm aware that we all make decisions, right? Every day, every day, everyone here, and we make countless decisions. We do. And every decision that we make throughout the day, it sets our day or our life on a certain trajectory. And let me just give you um, a few small examples, okay? So let's imagine that perhaps one morning my alarm goes off and I decide that I want to turn the alarm off and continue sleeping. I'm sure this is something many of you can relate to, all right? But if you do that, you make the decision to turn the clock off, the alarm off. Immediately, it's going to set your day on a certain trajectory. It will. It's going to change the course of the day. Or what about this one? What if, and I have no idea why anyone would do this, but what if for some reason you wake up in the morning and you decide, hey, I'm not going to drink any coffee, right? Once again, I don't know why you would do that, but if you do that, it's a decision that you make, along with countless other decisions that you make throughout the day, but that decision will change the trajectory of your day. Not only that, it is going to change the trajectory of the day for those who come in contact with you, right? Because you're going to be maybe grumpy or, or whatever. But, but the point is this. We make decisions all the time. We make decisions that impact our lives. And we make decisions that impact the lives of those around us. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. That the person that you are today is due in part because of some of the decisions that you made in the past. And I would say the man or the woman that you will be Tomorrow is largely based upon the decisions that you're going to make today. So here's the question. Here is the question, all right? Um, if we're all making decisions, and we are, countless decisions every day, if we're making these decisions, 
What are we basing these decisions on? What is the foundation of the decisions that you make? Here's what I've discovered. That for many of us, we make our decisions not based on truth that we know, but we make decisions based upon emotions that we feel, or we make decisions based on what I would call this, I don't know, uh, a search for happiness. We do. We do. We have that tendency internally. We may not say it out loud, but we're thinking, if I make this decision, how will it get me quickest, the decision I make, to what I have determined that will be making me happy? And so we make decisions based on emotion and what will make us happy and not on what feels, what is true, what is right. Now, the problem with this, and I will tell you, this is what I'll say just straight up, emotions make for a very bad God. They do. Submitting to, bowing down to your emotions, bowing down to this relentless quest for happiness, it's a ruthless God. It's a ruthless thing to set the rudder of your life to. Because we all know this. What makes you happy today will not necessarily make you happy tomorrow. Right? Decisions based on happiness today may indeed at one time fill you with great regret. In fact, you might say even today, You have some regrets about decisions you made in the past because you were seeking happiness. Listen, happiness is kind of, I don't know, schizophrenic. It's hard to nail down. But here's the deal. Here's the cool thing. The amazing thing about God is if you make decisions based on His Word and based on Him, they will actually bring you lasting happiness. They will. Why? Well, we could talk about that all day. But the, the, the core is because God is all-satisfying. He's all-satisfying. So I want us to be a people who make decisions. We're already making decisions. I want us to be a people who make decisions not on our emotions, not upon a quest for happiness, but based upon the Word of God. So week one today, this is the decision that we're going to look at. I will study God's Word And I will build my life on God's word. And the beautiful thing about that, deciding to do that, making a decision to read the word, study the word, apply the word to your life and how you make your decisions, it will absolutely change your life. It will. So, let's look at it. Let's look at the very first decision that we're going to cover in this series. I will study the word of God We're going to be looking at James chapter 1, 19, and a few verses following, and we're just going to walk through it. But James is going to tell us, as a people of God, what kind of response we should have to God's word. So let's just jump in. First thing we're going to see, chapter 1, verse 19, is accepting the word. Accepting the word. Let me read verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. All right. There's several things I want to pull out of this. I want to set a foundation so that when we start to examine it deeper, we'll be on a good foundation. First thing I want us all here to notice is this is a command. All right. This is, this is a command. James says, let every person, and he's talking to Christians, this is us, it's a command, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, Slow to anger. So if you are a Christian, this applies to you. No exceptions, no exclusions, no exemptions. There's no one 
in this room who is a Christian that this does not apply to. All right, so as we're going through this, there might be a temptation to think, well, maybe this does not apply to me, but James has already said, no, 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 no. If you're a believer, this applies to you. Second thing I want to touch on before we get into it, I want us to understand that this is um, really not a new command. And this is not a new teaching in the Bible. Over and over in the Bible, we're told in various ways, Old Testament and New Testament, that we're, be to, we're to be a people who are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. All right? um, I was going to give you some examples. I'm going to just give you one of my favorites. Um, I, I just love this one. Proverbs 17, 28 says this, Even a fool is thought to be wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue, all right? So over and over again, we see these principles in play, right? But I want us to understand what we're about to look at is unique. It's unique because if you look at this command in context of the text, it's really specific. This let every person, let, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger is specifically talking about the word of God, all right? It's talking about the word of God. We know this because before it's talking about the Word of God in the passage and afterwards. We're, we're specifically talking about the Word of God. So although, please hear me, it is biblical to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger in every aspect of your life, here specifically James is talking about Christian. You're to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger when it comes to reading and studying the Word of God. Okay, so the question might be, that, well, how does these, this, these commands apply to the Word of God? That'd be a good, really good question, if that's what he's saying. Like, I've heard this before, and I understand there's some general good principles, life principles, but how are we to apply this specifically to the Word of God? So let's just walk through them, applying them to the Word of God. First thing, the first thing he commands us, be quick to hear. Some translations might say, listen, right? So Christian... If you're a Christian, the command is to be quick to listen to or to hear the word of God. That's what he's saying. Now, the simplest form of this is it's just, it's just, it's just, a, just an encouragement, right? He's saying, literally, he's saying, church, hurry up. Hurry up and listen. Listen to the word of God. That's what he's saying. That's the command. It's a simple command. Listen, listen, listen to the word of God. Now, when we think about it, I think we would all probably say, well, generally, we're pretty good at talking to the Bible, but we're not necessarily really good at listening to the Bible. I mean, we'll talk. We're not talking out loud. Maybe you don't verbally talk out loud to the Bible, but there are times when people come to the Word of God with their mind already made up about how they're going to live and about what they're going to do and about their thoughts and how they should act. So they go to Scripture, and if what they think about, with what their ideal is, what they believe is right, if the Word of God contradicts it, they do not think, well, maybe I'm thinking wrong. Instead, they think, I guess I don't understand, or maybe the Word of God is incorrect. We think, we think surely, surely. The Word of God can't mean what I think it means. It can't mean what it's saying there because it contradicts what I'm doing. It contradicts what I'm feeling. We will say things. I've heard this. Well, it's outdated. 
Or, or you know what, it probably doesn't say that in the Greek, or it only applies to that culture. True story, two weeks ago, I had a guy talking to me. I had a guy talking to me, he's a guy, and he's in an impure relationship with his girlfriend. He says he loves Jesus and, and all these things, and we, we go over certain verses, and his reply is, well, that is old-fashioned. Surely it doesn't apply to today, maybe back then, but not today. See, he did not come listening he came to speak into the word of God. But James is sitting here saying, no, not for us. We do not do that. Don't do it. You don't come to the word of God and try, try pushing into it this American dream or whatever and twisting it to fit what you think it should fit. We don't do it. James' appeal is for you and I as believers to seize every opportunity we have to increase our exposure to Scripture. Take advantage of every privileged occasion you have to read the Word of God. In addition, I believe it also means take every opportunity you can to hear the Word of God faithfully preached or taught. Right? Be quick to hear. Hurry up. Hey, listen. Hurry up. Come on, let's listen. That's what he's saying. The Word of God. Second, he says, be slow to speak. Once again, we're talking about the word of, of God here. I would say, and this isn't lost on any of you, I think one of the ugliest characteristics in the culture that we live in today is that in, generally we're not, in general, we're not slow to speak. In fact, you know, we tend to celebrate those who have a quick comeback. We celebrate them. I really, I truly, I once knew a young man, he was, he's a buddy, but he actually would go back to his house, get in his room, and practice witty comebacks. His desire was to be able to, if anyone says anything to him, him to switch it, turn it back, shoot at him harder so that it would cut. But not just cut in a mean way, cut in a way that would make other onlookers laugh at him. And we celebrate that. We, we celebrate that, and you can see it on social media, all the time, people are really quick to post their opinions on the latest issues, and they're quick to speak. And sadly, it's come into the church, and often does. The outside seeps into the church, and maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've witnessed it. Maybe you've been in a Bible study or a small group, and people are just rushing to talk over one another. I would say this, just because you're the first to speak... And just because you speak the loudest, it does not mean that you are the wisest. And James is warning us here, be slow to speak when it comes to the word of God. Man, it's a bad thing when you speak rapidly and unthoughtfully in the natural world, but it's devastating. It is devastating when you come to the word of God and start just shooting your, your mouth all on, right? off. The, the primary ideal, the primary ideal is this, that when we come to the word of God, when it's appropriate, we thoughtfully speak, graciously speak. James is saying we should, we should speak about the Word of God together. We should. My prayer is, my hope is, is on your way out. I hope every one of you are speaking about this text, and that's good. But James is saying when you do it, do it graciously, do it thoughtfully, even do it prayerfully. Be slow. Be slow. Third thing he says is this. Be slow to anger. This is the one I find most interesting. 
it's interesting the way he, 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 he says it because it appears that James is assuming that when we read the Word of God, that we will encounter things that will make us kind of angry, that we're going to read things that will provoke the flesh. He says, don't, don't do it. Don't be angry when you're reading. Don't, let the, don't be angry. Watch it. Now, I'm not ta- I am not talking about this explosive type of anger even though some of you may have been explosively angry at the Word of God. But the most common thing is you read the Word of God, it comes up against something that you hold dear, and you just get this inner anger. It's a private anger. It's bitterness. It's passive aggressiveness. It's cynicism, right? And it can last for a long period of time. And it comes about, like I said, when you read the Word of God and it displeases you, right? Or it confronts a sin, or it conflicts your lifestyle, or your opinion. You get angry. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. And church, I'm going to let you know right off the bat, I have read the Word of God and become angry. Not explosive angry, but yeah, I I get upset. I do. I can remember many times I don't know how you come to the Word of God. It is an offensive thing to read to this flesh. It is. I thought about many things I wanted to share with you on this, but I remember this is um, a while back when, when my wife and I, we lived, our first, we lived in East Africa, but specifically our first two years, we lived um, in, we, in, in the western part of Tanzania on Lake Victoria. And it just so happened that one time we had to make a trip to a meeting that was in Nairobi, and that's about a 12-hour drive, and it's, it's a brutal drive. It's just a very difficult drive. But we get in our car, my wife and I, we were packed up. you got to carry everything with you, and um, I'll tell you, this is kind of old because um, I had this thing in my car called a, a cassette player. You know what I'm talking about? And somehow some guy had given me a cassette of a teaching uh, from a, a godly man teaching on a specific subject. And I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to listen to it on my trip to Nairobi. And, I've, and Charity was trying to sleep, and so it's really boring. Ain't nobody going to talk to you. I saw, so I pop it in there, and I start listening to it. And this man starts speaking on a, on a verse that I know. And he starts saying things that I had not thought about. He starts saying things that kind of contradict some of the truths that I had held. And it bothered me. It bothered me. So I ejected the tape and went. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's how I roll, man. I Charity wakes up and I start explaining to her. I remember how this guy was all wrong. And, um, but I got 12 hours in that car on this rough journey. And the Lord was working on me. By the time we got to Nairobi, I had come to the conclusion that, in fact, he was right and I was wrong. And I praise God. I praise God that he allowed me to hear it, right? Because I was holding on something that wasn't true about God. My, I would say what I believed was not untrue about God. That would be incorrect. But it wasn't sufficient. It wasn't as glorious as this other truth. And so now I adopted it, and it's changed the way I even look at Scripture. But what a fool would I have been. What a fool would I have been to hold on. Oh, no, man, that's what I think. That's what I hold dear. I'm not going to listen. I'm angry with people who think otherwise. And, Paul, and James says, no, no, no. Your anger at Scripture is not an indictment on God. It's an indictment on your heart. 
Don't do it. Don't do it. And James is so concerned that we might get angry with the word of God, he's going to continue by elaborating. Look at verse 20. For the anger of man does not produce, what? The righteousness of God. That is, the anger of man does not accomplish what is right in God's eyes, especially if you have anger towards the word of God. All right. So the question is this, how am I to respond? How am I to respond? How am I to respond when I come to something in the text that offends my flesh? How am I to respond? He tells us, verse 21, check it out, this beautiful word, therefore, therefore, because anger is not going to produce the righteousness, therefore, here's what he says, it's a command, it's, it's an imperative, look, Christian, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness what? Look at that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. What are you going to receive? The implanted word which is able to save your soul. In other words, we put away filthiness and wickedness because it is a barrier to hearing and applying and comprehending the word of God. It is. Now, I want to do something real quick um, because oftentimes I say something like this um, and I'll get a a text or a, some guy will come up to me and they'll say something like this. This may be a question some of you have. I want to answer it in advance, all right? So <laughs> someone might come up and say, okay, I hear that, I understand that, but Pastor Travis, could you be a little bit more specific? What exactly is filthy and what is wicked, right? But some people, they, they, they want to know. Usually it's, it's a younger guy. They'll say, hey, listen, they'll say something. Hey, listen, I'm involved, <laughs> I'm involved in some marginally wicked stuff, right? So um, could you kind of list what is included in this wickedness? What is included in this filthiness? I want to know exactly what I need to put down. All right? Well, glad you asked. Um, <laughs> both these words, and it's interesting, they're really broad words. They're all-encompassing words. They're like the junk drawer of a dresser. Everything that doesn't have a place, it fits in that drawer. Filthiness. Filthiness here means moral defilement and impurity. It's the big picture. You've got to put it away. Wickedness, it denotes a moral evil corruption in general, and it's specific to evil that is deliberate and determined. So yes, it can refer to that link that you click on deliberately knowing that it's going to land you on something that you ought not read or look at. That's what it's talking about, all of it. This deliberate disobedience, this deliberate evilness. That's what it is. Put it all away. Put it all away. James says, put it all away. All of it. Once again, this applies to all of us. Remember, I done told you. James done told us. There's no exceptions in this room if you're a Christian. There is no exceptions. And he says, while you're putting that away, at the same time you're putting it away, you've got to receive something. Look, receive, you're putting it away, wickedness, and I'm going to receive what? Meekness. That's humility, that implanted word. Right? You put away filthiness. I put away wickedness, and I receive with meekness. In a submissive, gentle, teachable spirit, I receive the word of God, but look what it says. It's been implanted 
So it's, it's implanted. It's implanted. God the Spirit is in me. I've got this desire. I've got this new regeneration. I desire this. I want this. It's implanted. You need not go look far for it because it is here. We desire it. We want it. Our God has written it. All right? So that's what he says. First thing. Okay. First thing. We're not done. Listen. First thing. Hey, listen. We want to apply. We want to receive. What's, what was point number one? We want to. I got to get all the way over here. Someone yell it out to me. What is it? Study. There you go. Thank you. But that's not sufficient. It's not just a, sufficient to accept it. That's the word I was looking for. Accept it. We're going to move on to verse 22. He's going to say, not only do we accept it, we got to apply it. That's the second thing. we got to apply the word of God. It's not sufficient just to accept it, is it? Is it? If you don't apply it. You see, the application is the visible evidence of actually Accepting it. Thought about this. This, is, this, is, this goes down to my house countless times every week. Here's an, a broad example of something that goes down to my house. So, so maybe um, I need to take my son somewhere. And I go, hey, Z, man, um, um, put on your shoes. He hears it. And I said, can you repeat back to me what I said? He repeats back, so he's accepting it, Right? I, maybe I go upstairs to grab something. I come back down. The shoes aren't on him. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't apply what I said. He might have accepted. He didn't apply it. And James is going to tell us, hey, guys, we've got to apply it. We don't just read it, but we apply it. And just as though he gave, just like he gave, us three, he gave us three commands when it comes to accepting it, he's going to give us three commands when it comes to applying it. Let's walk through this. Let's just walk through it. Let's see. Let's let the weight of the word of God fall. Look, first he says, we need to apply without deception. James is going to begin by telling all of us that any response to the word of God that is not faithful is self-deceptive. Here's how he says it. Look, verse 22. We're talking about application. But be doers of the word, not hearers only. Check this out. Deceiving yourself. That's verse 22. In other words, if you hear it, if you accept it, but you do not do it, you are deceiving yourself. And self-deception is the worst kind of deception of them all. And he's going to keep going by giving us an analogy so that we don't misunderstand what he's saying. Look at verse 23. For if anyone, now he's talking about, this is going to be, the anyone here is believers, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. That's a pretty straightforward analogy. I think we can understand that a person that looks at God's word, even if they look at it carefully, even if they look at it accurately, and yet they do not apply it to their life, does them no good at all. And I'd say this, listen, it, it's, it's a bad thing if I do that in the natural world. Like if I look at myself and walk away. It's a bad thing. Like, I've done this before, and I'm, I love you guys because I've done this before. I look in the mirror Maybe, I don't know, i got a lettuce up in here in my grill or whatever. i got some Oreo, I don't know. I forget about it, I walk around. 
And then I run into Mary Sue. Mary Sue will say, hey, Travis, you got, you know, something right there. And I go, I love you, thank you. We all laugh. That's good. It's okay. It's not that big of a deal. So it's not that big of a deal. But I tell you what, it is devastating. It is devastating if you do that with the Bible. If you read the Word of God and you look at it and you're staring at it and you're studying it and you understand that there's sin in your life and you turn away from it and you do nothing about it, it's devastating. Here's my question. I've asked it before. What is the difference between a person who does not own a Bible and a person who reads the Bible but never applies it to their life? What's the difference? Nothing, really. In other words, the person who reads the Bible and does not apply the Bible really has no advantage over the person who's never read the Bible at all. Let's keep going, 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, oh, notice that word perfect. There is no blemish in it. The law of liberty, that means it's freeing and perseveres. Being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who, what, acts... He will be, check it out, church, come on, blessed in his doing. The end result of accepting and acting upon the word of God is that you are blessed. But it's going to continue. He's going to say we've got to apply it without selfishness. Here's how he says it. If, verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, okay, I'm going to chase a rabbit, I'm sorry, just because I can. I, I want this bridle the tongue. I really, I don't know how to say this. If you're a member of this church, or attend this church. If you consider me your pastor. If someone asks you who your pastor is and you say, Travis, I, I want to speak to you specifically. I want to ask you to be very careful on social media. Let's bridle our tongues. I want us to be marked as a people who are loving and caring. Not a people who can speak funny things about people we may not like in politics. Because, see, here's the deal. And I'm sorry, I'm getting off on this because it really got under my skin this last week. I want us to understand that every one of us, when we write unthoughtful, unkind things about someone that we may not like, and rightfully so, there's someone in your friends list who probably likes that person. And that person will probably not listen to you talk about Jesus anymore. Let's keep the kingdom in mind, guys. Let's keep the kingdom in mind. That does not mean we don't stand up for truth. Please don't hear me say that. But this bridle the tongue. We've got to bridle our tongues. Let's keep moving. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> keep going. But deceives his heart. So you're deceiving your heart. This person's religion is, what's the word? Worthless. It has no value at all. Keep going, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. 
All right? James says we are to apply the word of God to your life selfishly, right? We're not to be selfish with it. We're to have genuine concern and welfare for others, especially those in great need. I want you to pay specific attention here. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before who? God. That's what we're looking for. That's my aim. I don't care about religion that seems best to the world. I'm not concerned about religion that might seem best from fellow believers. Really, I want what is acceptable in the eyes of God. That's what we're laying, that's what we're aiming for. That's what we want. And it says genuine religion is not determined by someone else's standard, but by God's. And he says here, religion that is pure and undefiled before God is religion that visits orphans and widows in their affliction. We could say a lot about that. I'm not going to get into the specifics about it. I want to look at the big picture here. James is saying, hey, widows and orphans, 2,000 years ago, they were the most vulnerable. They were the ones who were least likely to be able to pay you back any kindness. And because they could not reciprocate when you were kind to them, when you loved them, it revealed your true sacrificial love for them. So we are commanded here to love and care for those in need, not simply for those whom we prefer. And I'm be the first to admit, it's exceedingly easy to love those whom you prefer. I'm good at that. But James called us, called us no, no, not to those whom you prefer, from those who are least likely to reciprocate, for those who are most in need. That is who we are to love, not selfishly. Next, he moves on. He says, apply without compromise. This is the very end, verse 27. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, I've said this before too. Church, we are to be clearly distinct from the world. Set up against the world, we are to be a people who are clearly distinct. We're clearly distinct. I've got to share this from my life, man. I remember when I was a young, younger Christian, I'd, I'd come to faith and I was growing and I still, I had some friends around me who weren't believers. And the friends around me would often make fun of Christians. And it's an interesting place to be in. And they would come up to me, they know that I'm a Christian. And they're like, hey, what, what's the deal? Your, your, your friend over there who says he's a Christian, he won't even watch a rated R movie. And I wanted to defend him as though a 17-year-old kid needed defending. Or, or hey, your friend who's a Christian... He doesn't cuss. Oh, here's the big one. Hey, you know so-and-so? He's a Christian. I see him hanging out with you, Travis, sometimes. You know what that dude said? That dude said that he was going to be pure into his wedding night and laugh. And they said they laugh and all this stuff. And I remember, I thought, I need to defend my Christian friends. I need to explain to them, the ones who don't know Christ, about them. But I came to the conclusion, and that's a fruitless endeavor. And it, it is, because they're right. They're right. Christians are clearly distinct. My, my, that's true. My, my Christian friends did take on those stances. 
And they did. I, I see oftentimes, and, and you know this as well, I see some Christians trying so hard to fit in to the lost world, to act like them, to walk like them, to watch what they, they, they watch. They try to hide maybe some of the things that they value when they're in their presence. But no, he says we are to keep. Look, this word to keep, it's a beautiful word. It indicates a regular, continuous action. We're to be perpetually keeping ourselves distinct. It's our perpetual obligation. Now, now I'm not talking about sinless perfection. We all fall short. I, I get it. and I get it. And I'll tell you something about my friends. I'll tell you something about my friends. I'll tell you about my non-Christian friends. My, at the time, I'm just saying today, but they would love to point out to me one of my Christian friends made a mistake. Oh, that was the highlight. That was the highlight. If we could just catch a Christian saying something they should not, and they would all say, well, I'll point at him. And I want to say, hey, but my friend, my Christian friend, you know what he did after he did that? He repented. He repented. That makes all the difference in the world. So we are to be not perfect. Even Paul says, I do things I don't want to do, and things I want to do I don't do. There's this perpetual tension our whole life until the Lord takes us home. But right now, we are to be clearly distinct. We do everything different. We do. We spend our money different. We spend our time different. We do intimacy different. We value different things. I value the kingdom of God. It's different. We don't do it in a proud way. No, sir, we don't. It's not a proud way. But it is a clear way. And that's where James ends. Not the book, but on this word of God. And so let's get back to our very first decision. I will study God's word. You do that? I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about flirting with studying God's word. I'm talking about studying God's word. You do that. It's going to change your life. It will change your life. You accept it, you read it, you study it, you know it, you share it, you love it. Then you apply it without deception, not in a selfish way, without compromise. It's going to change your life. Now, let me briefly say this. I imagine I'm not saying anything that maybe if you're a believer you don't already know, but you might run into this problem. Um, I have a hard time actually doing it. Here's what I want to encourage you. One, set a time to do it. You need to do that. Get accountability. Commit to a church service. Say, you're going to be here. You're going to be here. By the way, I desire you here. We want you here. We need you here. You got gifts that we need. All right, get that accountability. Get a Bible reading plan. There's some out at both welcome desks. You can take them. If you download our app, there's a Bible reading plan there. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't. It doesn't. But you can do it, and it will change your life. I will. Study God's word. I will apply God's word. All right? Next week, we're going to get into our second decision. It builds on this decision. I hope you can be here. But we want to be a people who make our decisions based on truth, not based on emotion, not based on what will lead to our happiness according to our own views, but truth. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. 
John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They're about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part, so please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.